Thanks, Brandon. Thanks, guys. Really wonderful. I think every single one of us has a map in our hands this morning. If you're younger, the map's a bit shorter. But if you're Ted's age, it's a long map. Ted, you're in the firing line. But... And that map is a map of life, of experience, of hurt, disappointment, joy. It's a, it's a map of absolute incredible high moments and high points, but a map of incredible low points as well if we're real about life. And part of the reason why God has put a map in your hands is so that other people can avoid the, the, the traveling, the route that you took so that they, they don't have to go that route. They can go on a different route. And go on a route that is wiser, a route that is more mature. And I want to encourage you, part of our job as men, first of all, is to be sons of God, because you can't do anything from sons of, as, without, being sons, without being sons. Son, sonship is amazing. But I want to tell you, you've all been given a map. And if you're young and your map is still being drawn out and you've you just finished studying, I was talking to Cade Crystal now. He's just got this incredible job. He, his map, he's just finished. He's 22 years old. But he doesn't need an app to help him on his journey. He needs a man. There is this, there is this incredible sense that in these moments... And it's quite a weighty moment for me because I feel like God is so on us as men and is wanting to get our attentions. I want to read you a text in a moment just to describe that the moment that we're in is not unique. Everything you've seen, everything that's happening has happened before. And God's not unaware. He hasn't, he's got solutions. He's got ways of working these things through. But the problem is, I think, we always in this moment of we need this kind of killer app that's going to change everything. We're kind of in this moment where we've got to now find some kind of um, deconstruction of everything because there's a new way of church and there's a new way of things. And it's kind of like a, it's what I would call solutionism. It's like there's this new solution and there's this new thing. The problem is that, in, that, that solutionism, that thing that we're wanting, it's, it's instant gratification. That's why we want it. I think of that, this Asbury um, outpouring of the Spirit at the moment in a university in the States. It's all over social media. And everybody's flocking there. You know why I think half of those people are flocking there? is they want an instant moment with God that's going to take them out of their troubles and say, God, please. Instead of the old, tested processes of God, where you learn to walk with God, dig wells with God, and allow the Spirit of God to fill you. I tell you what, on Thursday evening at prayer meeting, I thought we were going to have an outpouring of the Spirit of God. It was so, we ended up just worshipping. It was so pregnant with the presence of God. God is wanting to pour out His Spirit all around the world in these little moments, I think. Whatever them, some of them are longer, some of them are shorter, some of them have profound, more profound, profound impact, some of them have less. But God wants to pour out His power in this city. 
in this church through you. And it's not going to be some kind of silver bullet. It's going to be men and women, and for us this morning, men, finding God and walking with their God and allowing God to do what he needs to do in us so that we can become the rivers of life to this city. And I feel like that's, that's what God wants to... I feel like if we get hold of the men, we'll get hold of our nation. If we get hold of the men, we'll get hold of our city. That's why it's so amazing to see so many of you here this morning. We want change. We want revival. We want something to move. Friends, it is latent within you to bring it. It is a revival that starts in me that ends in the city. And we've heard that over and over again. This is what 1 Corinthians 16 verse 13 says. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Do everything in love. Act like men. Some translations, that's the ESV that says it that way, some translations say, be courageous. But actually the, the, the literal translation is, act like men, be brave, be courageous. And our friends, more than ever, men need to be brave and courageous. What does it mean to act like a man? What does it mean? Well, I think it means a, a lot of different things, but this morning I want to concentrate on two things, or they're kind of interlinked. They're kind of interlinked. And so, what I want to do is I want to read Genesis chapter 2 and 3. So Genesis, for those that don't know the Bible, is the beginning of the Bible. It's creation, the creation of man, and God populating and creating a garden and populating that garden with humanity to do a job. And then asking humanity to take that garden and cover the earth with it so that the glory of God would cover the, the earth. That's what it's about. But uh, if you wouldn't mind reading in your Bibles, Genesis chapter 2 and 3. We'll just uh, read a couple of portions there. Oh yes, I actually wanted to read Isaiah chapter 3 first. Isaiah chapter 3. How's this? So this is God's judgment on Israel. This is what was happening in that moment. See now the Lord, Isaiah chapter 3 verse 1. See now the Lord Almighty God is about to take from Jerusalem and Judah both supply and support, all supplies of food and all supplies of water, the hero and the warrior. So he's going to take your food and your water, but he's also going to take your hero and your warrior out of your, out of your midst. You think, Lord, what is that? I think we're in an age where, God, where somehow the world is taking the heroes and the warriors out. Because you are the heroes and the warriors. The captain of 50 and the men of rank. It's going to take away the leaders. I'll make mere use the official and children will rule over them. Instead of the men taking their rightful place, the children will take center stage. A man will seize one of his brothers in his father's house and say, you have a cloak, you be our leader. 
Man will seize one of his brothers, not bring honor to his father, and say, you be our leader. But in that day, he will cry out, I have no remedy. We'll choose the wrong leaders, and they'll have no solutions. I have no food or clothing in my house. Do not make me a leader of the people. When there's a vacuum of men playing their role, society crumbles. And then the frustration of men rises up and we get gender-based violence. I want to tell you, you are not trash. You are not toxic masculinity. You are men of God called to serve the people of God and bring the glory of God to this place that you live, in your families and beyond. In verse 8, Jerusalem staggers, Judah is falling. Their words and deeds are against the Lord, defying his glorious presence. Verse 10, tell the righteous to be, it will be well with them, for they will enjoy the fruit of their deeds. In the midst of all this chaos, the righteous tell them it's, they're going to enjoy it. There's this incredible picture in Isaiah 3 of everything being upside down and topsy-turvy. It's exactly what it is in today's times, friends. Where a six-year-old child can decide whether it's a boy or a girl. What is that? We're in a, we're in a messed up, mixed up world. But I tell you what, God is not messed up and not, God is not mixed up. And he is, he's wanting to put something in you and me to bring the glory of God, to bring the kingdom of God, to bring the rule and reign, to bring the righteousness of God into the world in which we live. We are not passive, apathetic passengers in the world that we live. We are game changers. And I really trust that God will speak to us in this regard this morning. Genesis chapter 2. Verse 50. God creates a garden. He puts this incredible rivers that flow through the garden. The rivers have names that mean increase, abundance, rapid, fruitful. It's like everything is set up. Everything is set up for, for prosperity, for, for uh, the forward motion. It's like God doesn't leave anything. This, it's a blessed environment. In fact, Eden means pleasure. It's a place of God's pleasure. And then verse 15 it says this, the Lord God took the man, the man, the male. Sometimes man means human, like male and female, but here it means man. He took the man, the male. That's you and me. And put him in the garden to work it and to take care of it. To work it simply means to cultivate, to serve, and to steward. So God has given him something. He says, I take all this abundance, take all these rivers that I put in there, take all this prosperity and just work it. Just continue to cultivate it. And then as you cultivate it, extend the limits of this further and further and further out. And to take care of it. To take care of it means to, to protect or guard, to keep watch over. So man was put in the garden to steward what God had given him and then to watch over it and protect it to guard it 
One of our primary responsibilities, friends, is protector and guardian. Every wife wants to feel safe. She can be the biggest hitter in business out. She can be the CEO of the biggest firm in South Africa. But when she comes home, she wants a man where she feels safe. Are we being a safe place for our wives? For those that are married. Are we being a safe place for our girlfriends? For those that are going out? Are we being a safe place where they're seen and heard? Or are we becoming unsafe because we've got issues? It's a big story. I'm not going to go into it this morning, but just to put it out there. Verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. Die there means you'll be killed. Remember, God is not a restrictive God. God is not a killjoy. God has a big yes. Eat of any tree. And a small no, don't eat that one. And somehow we get it right that we want that one. This is man in the garden. He tells man, he tells Adam, don't eat of that. You can eat all of this, but don't eat that one in the middle. And it's in the middle of the garden. It's not tucked away in some remote part. It's in the middle of the garden. Very accessible. I'll talk about that now. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. It's not good for him to be alone. It doesn't mean that he was lonely. I say this in marriage counseling. It does not mean that he was lonely. Adam was in a, in a, in a kind of completely unsinful, totally relationship with God, intimacy with God, used to walk with him in the cool of the day. Adam was not lonely. So what does it mean he, he was alone? And then it goes on to say he made a helper suitable for him. Well, it was simply this. There's a job to do that Adam has to do that he can't do alone. He's not complete enough. He hasn't got all that it takes to get this thing done. He can't do it. And he says this, I'll make a helper suitable for him. The word helper there is the word that God uses of himself as Israel. I will be your helper in the time of war. I will be your helper in a time of famine. It's like unless I'm there, you're dead. That's what helper means. Helper doesn't mean servant. Helper doesn't mean doormat and it doesn't mean lackey. It means actually I can't do this without you. Do we see our wives like that? You cannot get on with the call of God over your life unless your wife is with you. And I know that there's divorced men here. The, redeem, the redeeming hand of God is on you. This is no condemnation. I'm speaking to those. Those that have been through divorce know what it's like. But I want us to let us know that your wives are our helper, like God is to us. They're not God, like God. 
And he says, suitable. You know what that word suitable means? Like opposite. It means like opposite him. I'm going to give you somebody that you can't get the job done without. They're going to be like you, but they're going to be completely opposite to you. For those that are married, put your hand up and say, yes, that's me. I know that. I understand that. More opposite than like, maybe. Friends, I want to tell you one of the things that God gave to us in the garden. He said, I want you to take care of this and I want you to work it. And he gives us our wives so that we can get the job done. Part of, uh, uh, part of our, 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 our masculine responsibility is stewarding the gift that our wives are to us for those that of us are married. And for those that are going to be married or looking towards getting married is to find that like opposite other human being, that, that other woman, let me not say human being, that other woman, in case we think it's not another man, it is another woman. I mean, it's, it's like you've got to say what you mean here in these days. Another woman that is so like you but is so opposite to you. And you are to take that gift of that woman and steward her to become all that I designed her to be so that you together can be all that I've designed you to be called to do. It is a massive responsibility, men. It's a huge responsibility. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground of all the wild animals, all the wild animals, all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he had named them. And whatever the man called each living creature was its name. So the man gave names to the livestock, the birds, the sky, and the, and the birds in the sky, and the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took from one of the man's ribs, then closed, the place, closed up the place with flesh. The Lord, God took, the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. See, it's like you, but different to you, woman. And the reason why I think God takes, you see, Adam was created from the dust. Eve was created from Adam. And the reason why God does that is to, so that we will always remember the oneness that we meant to have in marriage. Always meant to be one. You're, you're missing without her. You're missing, you're, you're unco uncompleted without her. That's, that's the idea here. And then he brings her to the man. And Adam says, that is bone of my bones. One with me. She's like the very bones in my body. She gives me strength. Like the bones in my body. She enables me to walk. Like the bones in my body. Bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She, she puts flesh on me that I would never have if it without her. If you're single, this is the kind of woman you're looking for. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of the man. That is why, whenever it says that, I've always read that and I thought, well, what, that is why. That's why. What, what was why? No, you had a garden to take care of. You had prophetic promises over your life. And actually God put you together so that you could do this thing. Okay. A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they'll become one flesh. 
for single guys, just so that you know, I know this is not the sexuality series, but just so you know, you leave your father and mother's house, you get united to your wife, and then you become one flesh. And they, had naked without, they were naked and had no shame. So you leave home, you get united, you get married in a committed relationship. You then become one flesh, then you have sex, and then you have nakedness without shame. When you mess that order up, friends, you don't end up with nakedness without shame, you end up with nakedness with shame. My experience is that is the general rule of thumb. Friends, keep yourself pure. That woman is not yet your wife. Don't sleep with her. If you don't get married to her, in essence, you've slept with another man's wife. The blessing of God is leaving, uniting, one flesh, no shame. That's the blessing of God. The redeeming hand of God is always there to redeem it when we've messed it up. But friends, let's carry the grace of God to live that progression rather than a progression that is fixing all the time. Verse 3, chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? The serpent. Remember Adam's call. Just put this in context. Remember Adam. I want you to work and to take care. I want you to, to steward and to cultivate. I want you to watch and protect. Adam's job. Eve, he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. What he does, he comes to the woman and he, he throws God and portrays God in a bad light. Now God's actually just becoming a killjoy. He doesn't want you to become like him. He's restrictive. He's, not, he's trying to take something from you. Convinces her that that's the case. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, isn't it amazing how much, how quickly we eat when something is tantalizing our appetites, pleasing to the eye? The porn industry thrives on pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom. We want to be better than we actually are. We don't want to just be who we are. We want to be better than who we are. We want to be like God. She took, it and ate some, she took some and ate it. She gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. It's unbelievable. Adam is with her in this whole process, friends. Adam is with her in this whole process, and he ate it as well. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Sin enters. Disconnect from God enters. 
a, a, a realm of, of consciousness enters them that they should never have known or ever have been allowed to enter. That's why God said don't do it. You're not meant to be, you're not meant to know that. You're not meant to know that stuff. Now they're protecting themselves and running around protecting themselves. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord of the God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Suddenly, shame. Remember they were naked and had no shame? Suddenly, shame. They're running away, they're hiding, they're covering themselves. Friends, who does God call? He does not call Eve. And you think, but hang on. She was the one that did it. He does not call Eve. He calls man. Because man was given the responsibility of this. Man was given ownership of this man was given the responsibility to take care of and to and to and to work it and God gave him a helper to make sure that it was done properly and that so that it could get over the line but he then calls out man and says where are you I feel like since that day God has been shouting to men where are you I feel like this morning God is shouting to you, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Where are you with God? Where are you with the call of God? Where are you with the kingdom of God? Where are you with the responsibility I've given you? Where are you? Where are you? Some of us are hiding naked because of our guilt and shame. Forgotten that Jesus, 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 where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. He said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Adam, who told you you were naked? You've eaten from the tree I told you not to eat from. The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. It wasn't me. It was her. This morning I want to talk about the masculine, what's the word? Just gone out of my. The masculine prerequisite, the masculine um, command, the masculine characteristic, one of the first characteristics that characterizes male masculinity ownership and responsibility. I, met, I meet with a lot of men. It's my job. And I hear a lot of stories. And marriages are not, are not working. 
And I hear a lot of men saying this, it's not me, it's her. And I ask them the simple question, so what are you going to do about it? I've done everything. I've done this, I've done that. I've told her this, I've put this. Yeah, okay, and is it working? No. So what are you going to do about it? Now, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually just read my Bible more. I'm going to spend an hour in prayer instead of 10 minutes in prayer. And I say, no, no, no. You, 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 you're moving into spirituality. Like you're moving into the spiritual realm, but actually it's more doing, it's more religion. You think if you read your Bible more, it's going to sort things out. You can read your Bible till the cows come home if you don't encounter Jesus that brings revelation to you, that changes the way and gives you wisdom to deal with what you need to uh, deal with. It changes nothing, friends. You can pray for 10 minutes in the presence of God and find God. You can pray for an hour out of duty and it's pure religion. Do we need to pray and do we need to read our Bible? Of course, yes, I'm not saying that. But it's incredible how the, the overwhelming response is I need to read my Bible more and I need to pray more. Yes. You, find, you need to find Jesus more. You need to find the strength and the power and the wisdom of God to take ownership and responsibility for your family. First your wife and your kids and then going out in ever-increasing spheres of influence. Ownership and responsibility. You know what the difficult things around these men's ministry, these kind of moments? Because you kind of think, you have these moments and you even go away and you have these raw, raw moments. It's like, yeah, we're going to take a mountain. And we, guys are hoarse from screaming and shouting and we've climbed a mountain. We've flipped and traveled through a desert. We've got snake bites. Who cares? We're not, we're just men. And on Monday, we wusses again. You, you know, this is my prayer. And this is why I've started with this ownership and responsibility. Friends, unless we take personal ownership and responsibility for our spiritual well-being and that of our family, nothing will change. Another program is not Another program is not going to do it for you because then when you finish the program, what do you do with it? It's, it's taking personal ownership to realize this. Yes, my notes are all over the place, but you know, you, know, you know, Adam, when God says, if you eat of this, you'll die. And he's watching Eve eat. Did he, read, did he not believe that God meant what he said, that he would die if he ate it? And I, and I feel like it's a bit like that with us. Well, it was like that with Adam, who had the perfect father. We've had messed up fathers, most, a lot of us. But we actually don't believe God that if we eat this, or we don't take personal responsibility and ownership for our, for our, our spiritual well-being, we don't think we will die. But families are dying everywhere from within. 
We don't think like... I was, saying to, I was saying to somebody the other day, if this was so important, if your child had an emergency and was rushed to hospital, you would stop every meeting, you would stop your life for a season. My daughter was in ICU for six days. Everything came to a halt. It was all about her and being in ICU. I'd be there. Why? She could die. It's important. This is incredibly important. But friends, we don't put the weight that we should do on our spiritual lives. And the common adage is this. We're busy. We're too busy. And I've realized this. It's not a busyness problem. It's I don't think we're going to die problem. It's a priority problem. And I'm speaking straight to you guys. Because I see it over and over again. I see it in my own life. First of all. She eats the apple and they don't actually physically die. I got away with it. And we think we've got away with it. The problem is, they spiritually die, instantly they realize they're naked. And guilt and nakedness comes into our lives, friends. And we can't become the men we call to be. And then what happens is, we might not die, but from then on out, the generations to come live shorter and shorter and shorter lives. We think we're getting away with it, but inside we're dying, and it's impacting our families and kids and the generations to come. Your spiritual well-being is your personal responsibility. My job as a pastor in this church is to create an environment for you to grow in. I cannot grow you. I cannot make you do anything. It's the Spirit of God that's got to come into our lives and say, God, I need to be this kind of man. Help me deal with my crap so that I can be this kind of man because it's getting in the way of the way I see my wife and the way I interact with my kids. I tell you what, friends, from that day on, God said, Adam, put Eve in the place of God. When he watched that and didn't say anything. From that day on, men have been putting women in the place of God. And man's appetite for woman has just grown and grown and grown and grown. And our flesh is reigning. And the Spirit of God is willing and saying, please come back to me. Friends, you have a choice. You know why God put that, God, that tree in the middle of the garden? You see, for man to have free choice, he's got to choose to love God. He's got to choose to say no, and he's got to choose to say yes. 
And so God puts a tree in the garden and says, eat of all of this, just don't eat of that. You see, if he didn't give Adam that opportunity, it wouldn't be love, it wouldn't be free choice. He had to have a moment where he could say, I'm not going to choose God and I'm going to choose to do what God says I mustn't do. Every single one of us, friends, have got a free choice. And my, my plea to us, my, I feel like this, when I say my, I feel like the spirit of God's word to us is say, men, the first thing I want you to do is to own your spirituality and to own your walk with God. Which means that you've got to have time with God. Which means you've got to take a portion of your calendar, you've got to find a rhythm in your day that you find space to be with God. Because the problem is, is our doing is outstripping our being and we're burning out. We don't burn out, friends, because we're doing too much. We don't burn out because we've got an outflow problem. We burn out because we've got an inflow problem. Man is designed to work and to be busy and not be lazy. But, it, but he's also been designed to be with God and be with others so that the outflow and the overflow of his life is one of health and life. And if I had to put a poll here this morning, at least half of us haven't met with God in the last week or two. It's so important, friends. If you do not do it, you will surely die. Eventually. He told Adam. You see, with ownership comes responsibility. I've been looking at this thing. What does ownership mean and what does responsibility mean? They're, quite, they're different things, but they're related terms. You see, you can, if you own something, you're automatically responsible for it. If I own a dog, I've got to be responsible to care for it, but I'm also responsible if it bites somebody. You see, if I'm responsible for something and I don't own it, that's called stewardship. I, I steward and I look after somebody else's stuff. That's responsibility. So I'm responsible for that dog. I own the dog and I'm responsible for it. And what God does with Adam, friends, is he puts Adam in charge of this garden. He says, own this thing. He gives him the commands. And he's got the responsibility to communicate that and to work it with his wife. And he abdicates it. He abdicates ownership and he abdicates responsibility and man falls. And it's happening over and over and over and over in our families, friends. Adam was first Adam. Jesus was second Adam. You know why Jesus came to save us? Because the Father owned his creation. He took ownership of it. And he said, I'm not going to wait for somebody else to bring a solution. I'll bring the solution. 
And Jesus took responsibility for it and came and died a death that we should, he should never have died because he did nothing wrong. On behalf of those that should have died, he took responsibility. And so the redemptive purpose of God is restored back in Christ. And those of us that are in Christ begin to carry that redemptive life of God to own and be responsible. Listen to what Ephesians chapter 5 says of, of Christ. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You see, taking responsibility means giving yourself up for her in a marriage. For the singles, this is what you've got to do. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. So hang on. So he dies. He, he takes responsibility for this. Even though she's not holy, he does something so that takes responsibility in such a way that she becomes holy. That's what responsibility means, looks like. Cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word. So, so Jesus comes and he takes responsibility by, by loving the church and giving himself up to make her holy. And he does that by cleansing her with the washing of the water of the word. His, his life so is the word of God, so is the truth of God, that when he lives it out, it washes over her. He doesn't Bible bash her. You must listen to the scriptures. His life so washes over her that life, the environment changes. To present her to himself as a radiant church, he takes the responsibility to take this bride who's not holy, who doesn't deserve it, who's full of holes and full of rubbish and puts things in place so that he can present her to himself as a radiant bride without spot, wrinkle or blemish. Jesus takes responsibility. Our model, friends, is Jesus. You know, every age has their heroes. In my dad's age, it was Don, John Wayne. The typical man, John Wayne. Hardy talks, chews tobacco, spits out, shoots people if they don't look at him, skew, big tough guy. In this age, Andrew Tate. For those of you that don't know Andrew Tate, he is the absolute reaction to wokeness. But he is an absolute pig. He's not a hero. He uses women. He sleeps with them and discards them. But compared to this, he's becoming the hero. Now he's in jail because he's done something. Every generation, friends, has their hero. But I tell you, the hero of all time is Jesus himself. Our lives are modeled on Jesus. Not on John Wayne. Not on some other guy. Not on Andrew Tate or whoever it is. Adam abdicated ownership of the environment in which he lived. I want to say to you, friends, our job 
in this ownership process is you've got to own your environment. Your home is your environment. If you're single, your space is your environment. You own it. You don't say, well, there's not me, she, or he, or my kids, or whatever. You own it. You take responsibility. It's yours. Adam, take care of it and work it. And when it goes wrong, Adam, where are you? When it's going wrong, it's, Tim, where are you? Hilton, where are you? Not Janine, where are you? Stan, where are you? Not Heather, where are you? This is strong, friends. I hope you're feeling overwhelmed at this stage by the enormity of the weight of responsibility upon your shoulders as a man. Because if you are, you're going to get on your knees before Jesus and say, please help me. And that's the right place to be. Your, your home is a greenhouse. Your job is not to manage everything in the greenhouse. Your job is not to do everything in the greenhouse. Your job is not to be the best in the greenhouse. Your job is not to be the leader, the boss in the greenhouse. Your job is to be the greenhouse. And to always keep choosing. It's an amazing thing. I said it earlier. Adam chose Eve over God. And since then, men have been choosing woman over God all the time. In your situation, don't choose woman over God. It's not a good pattern for your marriage. Choose God over woman. So that God can enable you to be the man that you call to be for that woman. Because she is a creation in God's eyes. And one day you will get before God with the audience of one. And I, and I believe this with all my heart. God will say to me, Stan, how's my daughter, Heather? How's my daughter, Heather, doing? I gave it to you as a 16-year-old or a 17-year-old. Did she flourish over her life? Did she become all she was called to be over her life? Or did you so break her and so wound her that she became a shadow of the person she was meant to be? Men, take responsibility and ownership of the greenhouse of your homes. Young men that are getting married, don't choose woman over God. Adam did it. And it didn't work out. It will not work out for you. When I mean that, don't give away your sexuality. She's not your wife yet. The nuclear power of the sexual lovemaking process and act can only thrive in the commitment of marriage. And if you've messed up, get before God and ask for forgiveness because it's available to you. And put right. Adam abdicated responsibility for his personal role in the environment. To work it. To protect it. He let the snake in, guys. He let the snake in. It was his job to protect it. And the snake comes to his wife. 
How many times, friends, are snakes coming to our wives and our families and our kids and our friends? And we're not, can I say, and our friends, for those that are single. You don't let the snake in. You crush the freaking snake's head before it gets to your wife. It's your responsibility. Stop being a wuss. Stop being silent and begin to speak up. Even with your friends. When your friends are going to bad places and your, your girlfriends, your friends that are girls are, are being, you stand up for her. Don't let the snake get her. Don't let the snake get her. Your job is that. You've been made stronger than woman because you can do that. Generally, men are stronger than women. Why? Because you are protector. You are the snake crusher. Don't become the snake and don't let the snake come in. That's my exhortation to you today. His lack of leadership, his responsibility for lack of leadership, his passivity, his apathy. You know apathy, I looked it up this morning. Apathy means this, lack of interest, enthusiasm, or concern. Oh, Lord God. And I'm saying, Lord God, please help me. Not... Let me show up with enthusiasm and, and full of concern and full of interest, Lord, please, in every environment that I am. His communication, lack of leadership, bad communication. Friends, we are notoriously bad communicators, men. Adam obviously didn't tell Eve what God had said properly. He'd given her half a story. He'd given her the highlights package and no details. How was your day? Okay. You're all laughing because you know what I mean. I do that as well. No detail. Bad communication. Could do a whole thing on communication. His silence was deafening, friends. Your silence is deafening. When we have more women contributing prophetically in the front than men, silence is deafening. Not that women shouldn't be. I'm just saying, what are we doing? When we go with the flow, instead of standing up and saying, no, that's wrong, silence of Adam leads to chaos. He, 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 he abdicated his responsibility for his personal relationship with God. Friends, I want to say to you this, and I've said this to a couple of you as I've met with you over the last few weeks. If you're going down the road and you've got no oil in your shock absorber, even the smallest little bump feels like a oof, oof, oof. And then when you hit a big bunk, it's like oof. And what we're doing, friends, is we're living a life and we've got no oil in our shock, shock absorbers. We've got no margin. We've got no space. And so when we go through a little challenge, it's not just a oof, it's a oof. Oof, and our marriages, oof, and our friendships and our relationships, oof, every time, and there's no oil. Our responsibility is to make sure there's oil. And the way you find oil, friends, is to find Him. I'm not talking super spiritual. I tell you what, friends, if you are just giving yourself to the disciplines of a Sunday meeting every Sunday 
it would help. But I'm talking about more than that. I'm talking about a personal walk with God. And I cannot make you have it. All I can do is exhort you and, say, and get on my knees and say, God, Holy Spirit, please, will you come and put your hand upon us? I wish I could just... Everybody's got a perfect relationship with God. It doesn't work like that. He abdicated responsibility for what was going on inside the garden. I want to say to you, friends, you are the parent, not your children. They don't know better. You do. You have ownership until they're 21 or whatever that is, which means you have responsibility. I want to exhort you, friends, Stop saying yes to everything that your children ask you to do. Say no. You can say no. It's not child abuse to say no. It's for their good. Indulging children at the expense of their formation in God. Friends, can I just stand on a massive toe this morning? Here it comes. Friends, Sunday morning sport is indulging your children at the expense of the formation of their, your kids. You are teaching them that sport's more important than God. Mm. I grew up playing soccer right from under sixes. I have a sports park, a sports soccer field in Winston Park called Phipps Park. That's how much soccer I played. It wasn't me, it was my dad. Every Sunday morning, for 15 or 20 years, I played soccer. I played provincial soccer. I played under-19 soccer, under-21 soccer. I loved soccer. And then my kids wanted to play soccer. And I asked them the question, when is it, boy? Matt loved his soccer. Sunday morning. I said, no, boy. God first. So my kids didn't play soccer. But he's sitting here today. I feel your pain. But don't give in to your kids. Take responsibility. And those that don't have kids, listen, take the, extract the truth for your life out of these things that I'm saying. Your job is to bring the wisdom of God into the greenhouse of your life and of your family's life. You can't find the wisdom of God without finding Jesus. You can't find Jesus without being with him. You can't find Jesus without his word. You can't find Jesus without the community. You can't find Jesus without the spirit of God with you. What about taking responsibility for the future of your children? You know Dan, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? You know those guys? Daniel chapter 1. Israelite boys, Israelites go into exile Babylon. And they take the cream of the crop from Israel and they pull them in. 
Commentators say they were teenagers, possibly 13 years old to 16 or 17 years old, those boys. They get there, and, the, and the, the whole point of it was to assimilate them into Babylonian culture so that they wouldn't just rob them of their possessions, they wouldn't just rob the nation Israel of their possessions, but they'd rob them of their, their future leaders. That was the point. And they would become future propagators and leaders of Babylon, not of Israel. And we hear the story of Shadrach, Daniel, Meshach, and Abednego, and you think, wow, these boys were unbelievable. You know what I ask the question of? Or the, the, the thing that occurs to me. Imagine the parenting they must have had that as a 13-year-old, they can go into a foreign nation, Babylon, and still keep their faith strong in God. They will not bow as a 13, 15, as a teenager to this king. They will not. I think they must have had a mom and a dad. Like nothing. Take responsibility for the future. Your primary job is to disciple your children into the ways of Jesus. Your number one job. Before anything, it'll take care of their futures. I listened to, to Cade now this morning. Does a job and gets this unbelievable job. He's investing hundreds of millions on behalf of people. I'm thinking he's a 22-year-old. Who would give him 100 million? God would. You know the helicopter parent running around their children. They come, a, lot, a lot of them come from Durban North, by the way, just so you know. How you, my love? Don't touch there. Oh, no, here. Do you want something to eat? Yeah, are you? Okay. You know the helicopter parent? We know about that one. You know what the new one is now? It's called the snowplow parent. You know what it is? It's like a thing. It's the parent that goes like a slow plow in front of their kids and pre perfectly prepares the way that they just walk. until the mom and dad are not there, straight into reality. Friends, our job, our job as men is to help the young boys and you help the young girls. Not be helicopter parents, not be snowplow parents, but help them experience the reality of life in a safe place so they can overcome. To the overcomers, I'll give you inheritance. To those that persevere and overcome, revelation, they will, theirs will be the kingdom of God. In your hand, you have a map. Don't hold your map to yourself. Share your map with others. If you've got a young map, if you've got a short map, take your map to your dad. Take your map to other godly men. Say, please help me. 
If you've got a very long map, an experienced map, open your map and take it to the young people. Say, let me help you. Be available to be helpers on their journey. Take ownership for your own spiritual walk. I tell you what, friends, as soon as you do and you stop blaming your wife, I'm not saying she's doing it right. It's not about right and wrong. It's about you playing your role right. It's about you standing, being the safe place. Friends, if you are a safe place for your wife, you'll have a lot of sex. Your wife, I said, young guys, not your girlfriend. Your wife. I feel like the first block that we need to get, Adam, where are you? Jared, where are you? Kevin. Where are you? It's so good to see you here today. I tell you what, friends, my heart breaks for the stories in this room. But God is still saying, where are you? Nick, where are you? Tamela, where are you? Peter, where are you? Rodney, where are you? Bruce, where are you? Richard, where are you? Where are you with God? What are you doing in God? First thing, man up one. Can I just pray for us? Father, I ask you for Your power, Lord. Our oh, Lord, we fall so far short. Some of us have messed up. Thank you, Jesus, that it's not irredeemable. Thank you that some of us have second chances and third chances and fourth chances. Jesus, thank you for your kindness to us, Lord. But Father, I pray for us as men that you would teach us, you'd get hold of us so that we can take responsibility and ownership for the warehouse of our families and our environments, our work environments, and just become that man that brings order and peace. Not a domineering man. Not an overbearing man. But a man that measures his maturity by, the, by love. I thank you for that, Lord. I ask you, Holy Spirit, will you help us? Lord, I pray, will you do something supernatural this morning and put a hunger and a quest and a Something in our hearts, Lord, that the men in this room 
And the men that listen to this and the young men in our homes would stand up and say, here I am. Here I am, send me. I will lay down my life for my wife. I will live for the benefit of others. I will crush the snakes that are trying to bite. I will keep this garden snake free. I will bring up my children and help my brothers walk in the ways of the Lord. Pray for that, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.